we present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Topsvig. Hello and welcome to the news quiz. We start with a cutting from the Times Education Supplement read by Corrie Caulfield. The percentage of 10-year-olds in England classed as overweight is 15% and classed as obese is 19%. Figures have been rounded. <laughs> and our thanks to Alison Downey for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first, on my right, Fred McCauley and Justin Morehouse. And opposite them on my left, Lucy Porter and Jeremy Hardy. seven grand not be in the hand? There's been a lot of talk about salaries this week. Am I on the right track? Yeah. Um, it's about the MPs. This uh, body, who I think are called IPSA, they are. the Independent Pointless... <laughs> it's the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority. Thank you very much. That's OK. They've said that they want to introduce up to 10% of a rise for MP salaries. Uh, David Cameron said, uh, not likely, uh, thereby taking the word authority out of the authority. <laughs> Although he's not going to take the full amount. His percentage is a wee bit less. And he said, well, look, there's no need for this and I don't want it, but if you're going to insist, I'll take it. Whereas <laughs> other MPs have said, well, I'll take it, but I'll give it to charity. So is Cameron not giving it to charity? Not that I've heard. He could no. give it to his football team, Aston Ham Villa United. <laughs> he said that he was angry, and you don't want to see David Cameron angry, uh, or indeed not angry, I just don't want to see him at all. <laughs> but I liked, The Guardian reported uh, about the attitude of MPs towards this new pay rise with the help of a Downing Street source. And I, every time I hear this, I cannot help but wonder what that Downing Street source would taste like. It's a bit... <laughs> well, I, I imagine it'd be rather bitter, but not enough flavour to have any real impact on the dish. <laughs> I do like the name of uh, Ipsa's chief executive. He's called Marshall Boo. <laughs> Does he have an exclamation mark after it? He should do. He that should would be do. fantastic. <laughs> they're not it? allowed to boo in the Commons, are they? It's unparliamentary. Un but why is that? You, why you, you, you have to touch or give somebody a look. You're not allowed to applaud either. You're not allowed to applaud. No. I must have you had a load of MPs Scots. at my gigs over the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Scottish MPs not only applaud, they have travel rugs over their knees. It's a wee bit like being at the military tattoo. <laughs> In 2013, Michael Gove said that Ipsa could stick it. Now, you have to think, since then, he's become Lord Chancellor. He's had to buy all that fancy costumes, hasn't it? All the, the funny hat and the, the lace. You don't get all that at Primark. I mean, he probably could do with the... Uh... I suspect Gove's got many funny hats and lots of lace. <laughs> Long before he got that game. What do we think, Lucy, about the MPs getting more money? Do you think they should get more money? Uh, I don't think they're paid well enough. I think they do a sterling job. Uh, I think it's great for the SNP MPs, isn't it? It's just that, you know, it's like a little bonanza on your first day at work. Mm. It's like turning up to do your work experience and they go, oh, we've, you're in the lottery syndicate. Um, I like the fact they're giving it to charity. I think that's the very least they could do. It's very trying, though, to have to go through that, isn't it? And somebody said, well, I cannot possibly take this money. And you know their spouses are saying, you bloody can. <laughs> we haven't had a holiday for two years. I think our First Minister, Ms Sturgeon, mm -hmm. actually earns more as First Minister than David Cameron does as Prime Minister. Can you imagine the shit he's getting from Mrs Cameron about that? <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. all I'll say. She's got new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never looked at 
his shoes? What kind of shoes does he? Is he given to a brogue? I imagine he's a brogue man. No, they're, uh, the, what do they call them? They call them, the, the blacksmith puts them on. <laughs> <laughs> they're the kind with no soul. <laughs> We're off and running. Um, uh, David Cameron has written to IPSA, the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, to protest at their decision to award MPs a £7,000 pay rise. Cameron's initial reluctance to turn down the pay rise was seen as a move to keep his backbenchers on side. Yes, they must be furious he handed them a completely unexpected majority last month. <laughs> MPs who oppose the rise have said they will give the money to charity, and for just £2 a month, you too can rehome a Scottish <laughs> Labour MP. <laughs> Critics have said that if politicians receive more money, they should reduce the number of MPs in the Commons, something the Lib Dems have already done to dramatic effect. <laughs> Two points to Fred. Justin, who's prescribing efficiency as a cure-all? Oh, this is uh, Jeremy Hunt. <laughs> Jeremy Hunt's taken over the NHS, and... It's the most remarkable thing I've ever heard Jeremy Hunt say, and he said some very remarkable yep. things. He compared the Conservative Party to Nye Bevan. He said, we're going to look after the NHS like Nye Bevan did. That's like comparing Theresa May to Florence Nightingale or <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg to a human being. It's just, <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. He said, basically, listen, NHS, you've got enough money. You just need to spend it a bit better. We're not going to give you any more, and that's it. And I, I spent some time in hospital recently. Four weeks ago, I had an operation. And they have got enough money in the NHS because they're not spending it on the food. <laughs> and they're not... Like, 45 pounds it cost me for a TV. I was in for two days. 45 pounds and no Radio 4. <laughs> no, that's the reaction I got to. They don't, they don't want people to get depressed when they're already, <laughs> already facing surgery. The problem with the NHS is... Well, there's a couple of problems with the NHS. Is that if you ask anybody in this country, we'll say, the NHS is the greatest thing we've ever done. And most people will say yes. I've been saying this on stage a lot recently, except one bloke in Leeds last week. I said, anything this country's ever come up with better than the NHS? And he went, the Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a moment where the audience all went, they, they are good. They are good. <laughs> The vacuum cleaner or the hand dryer? Because <laughs> oh. I hate the hand dryer. Do you? Why? Yeah. You put your hands in these things and the skin flaps about all over the place. <laughs> I was having a wee in a, in a restaurant lavatory in Oh, I'm Cambridge. glad you said lavatory. Yeah. <laughs> in a soup. No, no, and uh, the hand dryer was right by the urinal and it was motion sensitive. <laughs> and if your elbow happened to glance the, the motion sensor, you got this waft of air which transferred your stream into the next... <laughs> the next year right along. And you're trying not to cross the streams like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. one, of my, one of my sons was at uh, a pub recently and he went into the loo and there was a guy standing splashing water on his light-coloured trousers, making a, a wet stain. And he says, what on earth are you doing? He said, oh, this is going to get such a laugh. He said, come back out with me. And they walked back into the pub <clears> and the bloke went, these Dyson urinals are hellish. <laughs> <laughs> See, this guy was right in Leeds, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. We're yes. not talking about the NHS, we're talking about Dyson and Ryan. You, you, you do attack the NHS at your peril, because it is, as someone said, the closest thing we have to religion. Because in the run-up to the election, Farage said the NHS had nearly killed him, and we all just thought, self-defence. <laughs> it's, uh, The NHS is, is the world's third-largest employer, isn't it, behind the Indian State Railway and the Chinese Army. Is that right? It is. It's the third-largest employer in the world. You just think, wouldn't it be better if it was a little bit more... 
like either of those organisations. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the problem with the NHS as well is that it is large. It is the temp budget, isn't it? Yeah. 3.3 uh, billion we're spending on temporary staff. And yeah. I've been a temp, and you really don't put your back into it, do you? No. <laughs> do you know what I don't like in hospitals? They always have one room that's labelled the discharge room, and I just think... <laughs> They've got to keep it somewhere, haven't they? No. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, has said that the NHS has enough money and must learn to use it more efficiently. Hunt says that lack of funding can no longer be used as an excuse, but saying you sat down and the hoover just happened to be there is still fine. <laughs> On one occasion, an agency nurse cost a hospital £2,200 for one 12-hour shift, and the hospital weren't even allowed to harvest her organs. <laughs> Uh, I just realised that um, so far we've had two questions. We haven't said very much about the Labour Party. So in other news this week, the vending machine on the third floor of Labour headquarters has finally been mended. <laughs> so good news there. <laughs> uh, two points to Justin. Uh, Lucy, who's adopted a tougher stance on education this week? Uh, Nicky Morgan has said that uh, failing schools will be turned into academies, so you can't fail, you're turned into academy, which basically means rather than working on teacher training, staffing levels or class sizes, essentially the priority is to rebrand, uh, because we all know that Opal Fruits and Marathon are better now, they're Snickers and whatever the... Starburst. Starburst. Thank you, Jeremy. A rebrand is essentially what's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, the Sunny Meadows Primary School will obviously become better when it becomes the Wackford Squeers Academy sponsored by Wonga. Um, <laughs> I will be honest with you, I have two children of school age, but I hadn't paid much attention to this, and I didn't realise that academies, basically they're chains, mm. and they don't necessarily have to teach the national curriculum, and the Secretary of State can interfere in their admissions policy. So basically they can say, no thickies, and all we will do is teach children from Disney's Frozen uh, and uh, Nick Jr.'s uh, output. Well, but some of it, see, see, I began to understand it because uh, there's also the free schools, right, which are run by uh, parents and charities, religious groups. Um, so I sent my children to an Oxfam school. Um, <laughs> admittedly, they left with someone else's A-levels, but at half the price. Um, <laughs> I thought it was marvellous. There's no, there's no evidence that academies have actually improved because about the same percentage of academy schools are failing as non-academy schools. So why this word academy is supposed to work this magic? I mean, presumably, the Royal Academy was once just a sort of slightly rubbish palace. <laughs> or oh, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art was just a really bad drama school where they turned out people for Hollyoaks. But once, <laughs> once it became an academy, it, that was it. it transformed it. I mean, it's... what do you do then when an academy fails? Does it go back to being a school, then back to an academy, then back to a school? I don't think they can fail. I think, because uh, if you take it to the logical <clears> conclusion, because these are all sponsored, aren't they? They have... Uh... Mm. Corporate sponsors. I think they're floated on the stock exchange. I think that's what happens. <laughs> and then they organise hostile takeovers of other schools and then they ruin the global economy and then they're bailed out at enormous expense by the taxpayer. I think that's... <laughs> I think the, the biggest problem we've got in education these days is, is the pupils. <laughs> and frankly, we took them out of the schools. The buildings are lovely. <laughs> the teachers would be less stressed. <laughs> you know, have you ever been in these schools? These, these children are feral. You know, I think you've got a point there. That is that the pupils are the problem. Because if you look at particularly a primary school or sort of, you know reception age children, they're basically very small and quite ignorant. <laughs> and if, if, if more adults were in, um, you could have bigger chairs for a start. <laughs> you could have your rhinos that are a sensible height on a wall, <laughs> and you'd have people who actually know something. I agree with everything you said, Jeremy, apart from the size of the chairs. I can't see what the problem. is. <laughs> 
pupils are languishing in underperforming schools. And I thought, what about if they're studying for a GCSE in English language? <laughs> it's nice well, to languish anyway, it though, is. isn't it? It's a lovely thing to they do. Should be more. Well, we did, you know, I sort of thought idly about home educating, and then my four year old came into us and said, Mummy, did you know that vanished gold gets white six shades whiter? <laughs> She's doing all right just watching the telly. She's learning more than I could ever teach. We had a wee bit of good news uh, oh. in Scotland this week. Oh, yes. Uh, different education system, as you know, but it wasn't so much about the education, but it's about health. There is a primary school in Stirling and they have a thing called the Daily Mile and even at kindergarten stage they take the kids out and once a day they go and they walk, jog or run a mile and then they go back into their seats and in primary one which is the five-year-olds, not a single kid is registered as obese. Because <laughs> all of those have never made it back to school. <laughs> 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 Uh, Education Secretary Nikki Morgan announced that 1,000 underperforming schools will be turned into academies under plans published in the Education and Adoption Bill. Academy sponsors include BAE Systems, Europe's biggest arms company, who want to take over a secondary school in Barrow, and that is just what we need, a comprehensive with an independent nuclear deterrent. (laughs) Uh, In Labour news, does anybody have some headphones that Liz Kendall can borrow? Uh, hers are broken. She wants to catch up on the serial podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to help out there. Uh, two points to Lucy. Jeremy, have a listen to this. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the beast. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the yes. sound of the beast. Can I just say, we had a very nice young man called Paul on attachment from Radio 2 today. (laughs) Well done for that. (laughs) Jeremy, whose arrests have been arrested? Um, The police... Is it the 999 calls? There's loads of police stories. There's one that too many cops are fat. Yeah. Which I think is mean, because surely the police are supposed to be representative of the population. (laughs) And quite a lot of people are fat. You don't want all these lean, skinny-looking, handsome, svelte people who look like fitness instructors strutting around with, with cap-sleeve T-shirts to show off their overly inflated arm muscles. You want a fat cop who's all like Frank Cannon. Is, is, that, what, is that the story? It was, no, it isn't that oh, one. But um, I, I liked stories. that um, the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, said um, uh, when you call for an assistance from a policeman, you don't want to see somebody waddling down the road. You thought, well, it depends whether he's bringing snacks or not. I <laughs> How do you do a stakeout without a load of donuts on the dashboard? That's the whole point of a stakeout. And, and also, one thing I do think about the police is I don't agree with them being short. You get these little ones now, and I want them to look. I'm five foot six. I want to be impressed by. And now a policeman can be my height. And the ones I think are most ridiculous are those little community ones. Do you know that just bimble around and they've got no powers and they're only allowed to carry sort of TCP and blue tack. <laughs> They've got all of these pouches on a waistcoat and one of them's got a sewing kit. And... Did you know about this thing? They have a fitness test called the bleep test. Which yeah. I, did yeah. you know about the bleep test? Yes. I didn't know what... It sounds like you've got to run between two cones without saying anything racist. I have no idea. <laughs> no, 
then you have to, you have to run 15 metres. Right. And then once you finish the 15 metres, they put a heart monitor on you. And if it goes bleep, you're still alive and you get another year. <laughs> you're being very unfair, though, I think, Jeremy, on the short uh, police officers, because you need someone who can go undercover in the failing primary schools. Yes. Uh, well, and if there's true. ever been a murder at Weight Watchers, fat cop. Yeah. Is it that story or is it one of the uh, other It ones? wasn't that one, but There's I'm There's the one this. about only 22% of 999 calls are about crime. Well, it's all police call-outs uh, between 2013 and 2014. Only 22% were crime-related. Yeah, but then they said... And the other ones were, were frippery, like suicides and car accidents and you think well are you not supposed to call the police then if there's a road crash i mean i know people do make time wasting calls to 999 uh in fact the other day i rang 999 asked for the police and said what's the most trivial uh, thing that anyone's ever <laughs> run, run up about and they were furious i had a really terrifying and bizarre experience with the police once i had got some stuff in storage and it was in these large storage containers in a sort of industrial yard and as I drove into the yard, about four police cars arrived and uh, they got some people and they'd got guns and they were shouting and they were getting people down and get down, get down, get down. And the policeman turned to me quite camply and he went, we're just practising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to know who people should call. I mean, Graham Garden told me a story. The widow of a very famous actor who died in his sleep, the widow told Graham that she'd woken in the night and she'd found her husband died, passed away beside her and she thought well I can't call an ambulance because it's too late and you know what's the you know and so she rang NHS direct and she said I don't I don't really know if you're the right people to speak to but my husband has died in his sleep and the operator said not a problem Grandfather died, um, we did phone the police, and I remember my grandmother saying the immortal line to him, I can't think how it happened, we were only watching blankety blank. Which <laughs> <laughs> was duly written down. <laughs> A report from the National Audit Office has found that only 22% of police call outs between 2013 and 2014 were crime related. Police time is taken up attending many non criminal incidents such as floods protests and watching suspects fall downstairs entirely of their own accord. <laughs> the National Audit Office analysed 7.3 million separate police records but could find no logical explanation for Sting's solo career. <laughs> uh, and also this week, the Commissioner of the Met Police, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, has said the increasing number of police officers are unfit. Sir Bernard wants to improve the annual police fitness test. If you can't run faster than Andrew Mitchell can cycle, you're out. <laughs> Uh, in Labour news, Dress Down Friday has been cancelled due to lack of interest. <laughs> uh, at the end of round one, the scores are Fred and Justin have got four points, but so too have Lucy and Jeremy. <laughs> we start round two with a cutting from the Oxfordshire Guardian. Two A40 laybys between Oxford and the M40 that have been known to be used for sexual encounters are set to have a 30-minute parking limit enforced. <laughs> That'll sort that. Um, our thanks to Dee Waitman for sending us that. Justin, who has given himself the red card? Oh, this is the unbelievable story which mm. came from nowhere. That... <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, I'm almost big as belief saying it out loud. That yeah. It turns out that FIFA may be corrupt. <laughs> uh, loads of people got arrested and Seth Blatter said... Uh, well, it's terrible. So uh, I've been the boss of this organisation for most of the time it's been corrupt, so I should be the one to sort it out, so vote for me. And they did. 
who would have believed these tiny impoverished nations that had been part of a cabal would vote for the man who'd made them rich over the past 25 years? I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Extraordinary. And then it's gone a bit worse. By, you know, by the time we, we hear the show, uh, probably FIFA will be just doing netball. Um, <laughs> basically, this guy in America, uh, Chuck Blazer, couldn't be a more American name, could he? <laughs> Chuck Blazer. I love Chuck Blazer. Mm. I'm slightly in love with him. He does he... sound like a wrestler. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm part-time administrator in soccer ball. <laughs> <laughs> and the Undertaker's tag team champion. <laughs> so, so, sounds like a sartorial instruction, doesn't it? <laughs> Chuck Blazer. He's skipped dessert. Would have been a better name for him. <laughs> Toss waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> so Chuck Blazer has been singing like a canary. And he's indicted everybody. He's, he's everybody. So Seth Black gets his phone call in Switzerland and goes, right, I'm off then. And then the next page of the jigsaw is this guy, Jack Warner, who everybody for years, he's the head of CONACAF. He's from Trinidad and Tobago, Jack Warner. He sounds very Trinidadian, doesn't he? It's, he does sound like he should be from the West Indies. He sounds like he should be from Accrington. <laughs> Jack Warner, oh, I have been taking bungs for years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started off at Burnley Sunday League and then, you know, I made my way right up now. I run it in West Indies, I do. So, yeah. <laughs> So the story is, uh, football's corrupt, and thank goodness for our good, honest, you know, FA are stepping in, and the British banks are going to step in and do an investigation, because we need those paragons of virtue right at the centre of this. <laughs> are you interested, Lucy, in the football? Do you know, I, if I have no interest in football at all. If I want to watch a load of sex offenders running around, I go to Thailand, frankly. I'm not... <laughs> Although, actually, speaking of Thailand, there was a, a, another football story about some footballers going and having a racist orgy in Thailand. How do you have a racist orgy? I know, it says everything about footballers to me, that they can even make the, the pleasure of an orgy somehow. <laughs> uh, they can sully it. Sorry, can I just um, be clear, Justin? Were you looking for actual instructions? I guess. <laughs> Possibly we won't have that information. And can I clarify that uh, Scotland have not been at our football World Cup since 1998 because... Uh, it was on a matter of principle. <laughs> <laughs> the principle I, that you have to score goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was extraordinary was he got a, after he resigned, he got a ten-minute standing ovation mm. at a briefing to uh, FIFA staff to update them on his position. I thought, see, that is what you get when you kick off a meeting with Ness and Dorma. That is what. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way to do it. That wasn't applause. He just stood up, and that was all the money falling out of people's pockets, <laughs> just landing on the, on the floor like that. I've, I've been to Qatar and. Uh, what a football town that is. <laughs> Just, you know, oh, who, who could forget the, uh, the Qatar FA Cup of 83? Qatar Rovers versus Qatar City. And I can't remember who won, but uh, football was the winner. It was, it was the winner. Just, there is something, I mean, joke, I mean, this is a comedy programme, but there's something seriously wrong when the idea of Qatar not getting the World Cup is because of money now, not because thousands of people have died. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry to bring it down, no. <laughs> but it is. It but, just... I, yeah. but I agree. I agree with you. Well, if I can lighten the mood a wee bit, I'll just no, remind no. you. Go that, uh, Scotland are playing Qatar at football very, very soon, and uh, no, no, the Scottish to... players have all got Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think they'd speak Flemish in Qatar, wouldn't you? <laughs> Qatari, isn't it? Time to move on. Um, <laughs> 
This is the shocking news that Sepp Blatter is to resign as the president of world football's governing body, FIFA, as reports emerge that he is, and hardly anyone can believe it, under investigation in the United States. Uh, the FBI became suspicious when the 2026 World Cup was awarded to the demilitarised zone between North and South Korea. <laughs> His resignation speech lasted barely four minutes, of which three minutes were spent rolling around on the floor grasping his face. <laughs> Blatter denied corruption before announcing that the 2026 World Cup would be hosted by Weatherspoons. <laughs> it's unclear what the former president will do next, but as a famous football star with a history of stealing, he could be the new face of Walker's Crisps. <laughs> now, two points to Justin. Fred, who's slowly walking to an early death. All of us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pause for thought. Yeah, you can do an online test. I did it. What age did it say? I said it was 58. And how old are you really? 58. <laughs> I asked where I came from. I said Glasgow. <laughs> and it said, <laughs> You're at it, mate. But yeah, there is a, a, a test... Three times I tried it, and I got to about the fourth question, and it just said, safaris closed down. And one of the pointers into whether you're going to survive five years or more is if you suffer from anxiety, right? <laughs> which, before this afternoon, I didn't particularly. <laughs> but now I do, considerably. So. But it was weird. I mean, honestly, it's not that... It's, they called it a quiz, didn't they? It's they not it really academic. It, because... One of the questions, this is absolute genuine, is has a doctor ever told you that you have cancer? Now, <laughs> I don't think that's all that scientific no. in terms of trying to work out whether you are likely to die within the next five years or not. I did all 13 and my, and my, my health age is 48. And how old are you? 53. <laughs> and I've got, I only got, yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> and so I've got a 1.7 chance of dying in the next five years, apparently. But one of the questions was, how fast do you walk? And, mm. I, and I just walk very, very slowly because I prefer walking slowly. Yeah, yeah but it also, it, it depends on the circumstances. How fast do you walk? Depends how near the buffet I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't like to boast or anything, but I am 32, which is, that's my IMDB entry is going to be adjusted now. That's going on my CB. Did you do the, did you do the quiz? I've taken off 10 years. I lied. <laughs> Questions, aren't they? Yes. They should be. Have you ever chain eaten walls magnums? That would be a good question. <laughs> How many orifices are you currently bleeding out of? <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you recently decided to testify about FIFA? You know, it's. Yes. I, uh, I don't, I don't want to brag, but I've just recently had a significant birthday. I finally caught up with my waist. <laughs> Scientists have developed a five-minute online test, including questions about car ownership and walking speed, which they claim can accurately determine someone's chance of surviving the next five years. The test questions involve lifestyle, family structure and broad medical history. So broad, in fact, that the first question is, are you dead? <laughs> uh, there are 11 questions for women and 13 for men. The two extra questions for men are, do you measure your drinks in yards? And are you Nigel Farage? <laughs> Surely, if women had to answer that more than 12 questions, they'd faint from the sheer exertion. <laughs> All that thinking, my dear, you don't want to worry about that. <laughs> Jeremy's not going to live long. Um... <laughs> and in Labour news, the winner of the soft drinks raffle in aid of the new meeting hall roof is Pink Ticket 38. <laughs> At the end of round two, the scores are Fred and Justin have got eight points, but so too have Lucy and Jeremy. 
We start round three with a label from a pair of Mother Care's baby sunglasses. Not suitable for driving in twilight or at night. <laughs> Thanks to Rob Green for sending us that. Justin, have a listen to this. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> Again, Radio 2. Um, <laughs> Justin, which TV show is in two dog houses this week? Well, this is the, what was being called <laughs> the Britain's Got Talent Dog Scandal. Doggate. Mm. Uh, Doggate, dog yes. <laughs> Which is stopping going upstairs. Um, <laughs> it's like a baby gate. <laughs> it's Simon Cowell's uh, Britain's Got Talent, which it, by now should have been sued under the Trades Description Act. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, what happened was Britain's Got Talent. Nobody in Britain was talented enough to win that. So, a dog won it. <laughs> this, is, this is what happened. You don't understand this, cos you like Radio 4 and The Archer. <laughs> but a dog performed magic tricks or something, and it came out after it had won that they'd used the stunt double dog. Now, and people complained. There was also a magician on the show that sold a woman in half. <laughs> No-one complained about that. <laughs> has watched Britain's Got Talent and gone, hang on a minute. I have never been so hoodwinked in all my life. <laughs> Pass me the phone, Donald, I'm ringing up. <laughs> now, I don't think people should be allowed to complain about that. I think I want to be in charge of the ITV complaints department when someone rings up and says, I just complained about the stunt double dog. I just want to be on the phone going, yeah, mate, yeah. Mate, you voted for a dog. <laughs> Mate, you vote for a dog to win a quarter of a million pounds. <laughs> Mate, your opinions don't count. You're not allowed. But it's two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. How many diamond encrusted collars does it? Well, two, obviously, because there's two dogs. <laughs> but, but it's the second time a dog I know, has won. I've only watched it twice, and both times it's. I'm like, it's Britain's Got Dogs. <laughs> and it was a French dog. It wasn't even a British dog. What? <laughs> Cheating French dogs. Yeah, it was a dog called Matisse. Um, oh. And not only. I go, where's the phone, Donald? <laughs> not only did it use a stunt double for the tightrope section, uh, <laughs> it now turns out he didn't even paint still life with geraniums. So... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, it wasn't like when they say it was a stunt double dog, it was another dog. It wasn't a little person dressed up as a dog. <laughs> it's a tightrope walking dog, except oh. it isn't, because it was a stunt double. And now it's going to be on the uh, Rob Ratty show, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know the Queen is used to boredom, but watching a dog walking along a rope, I feel, is going to push her to the limit. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's all been a lie, because if you remember, the, the dog that won before, it was a woman called Ashley Butler and her dog, Pudsey. Mm -hmm. Not a dog at all, it's a one-eyed bear owned by Terry Wogan. <laughs> <laughs> And I, what I found out is at the end of every children in need, they slaughter and eat Pudsey. They <laughs> <laughs> did with Bane. I don't want to break any more hearts, but you know where uh, Bernie Clifton and the ostrich? What? It's his own legs. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch? Has anybody watched Britain's Got... I never... Well, I don't often turn over to ITV in case I accidentally see Keith Lemon and have to throw my television into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> about the talking dog. They thought the dog was really talking, didn't they? Jeremy, I can't believe you're actually interested. <laughs> this dog, a French ventriloquist with a dog, there was a way he had of making it open its mouth, or it had a, a mouth attachment that he could press a button. 
and they believed that it was a, an actual talking... I mean, you think, oh, God, and you don't expect Amanda Holden to be a, an Oxford don, <laughs> but you think she would grasp. There's something about Britain. Britain's got idiots. That's what it shows you. It's all very well for us to be snooty, but that dog got 250,000 Exactly! <laughs> In shocking news for all Radio 4 listeners, it's been revealed Britain's Got Talent winner Matisse the dog, who's afraid of heights, was substituted for a look-alike stunt dog during the high-rope walking climax of the performance that won the talent show final. Matisse and his owner, Jules O'Dwyer, won £250,000 and the opportunity to perform for the Queen at the Royal Variety Performance, where for years the Queen has sent her own stunt double. <laughs> The deceit didn't stop there, as in second place was magician Jamie Raven, who wasn't even a real raven. <laughs> the performance brought the audience to their feet. Tears to Simon Cowell's eyes, and Amanda Holden almost managed to do a facial expression. <laughs> I thought there was only one, and I'm now appalled to discover there are two, said a viewer about Anton Deck. <laughs> um, I've run out of Labour news. Have you got any, Corrie? Labour news. Yeah, lots of Labour news. Um, yes, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, he'll be um, out of office until Tuesday. He'll be checking emails sporadically, but if it's an emergency, you can contact him on his mobile. <laughs> Lucy, who's been aping us in the kitchen? Uh, yes, uh, this was some research that was done that showed that chimpanzees have the intellectual abilities required for cooking. Or actually, no, to be more specific, they have the intellectual ability to appreciate cooked food, which means that they have even more in common with Greg Wallace than we had... Uh... <laughs> so, chimpanzees uh, have the ability to cook food. They love cooked food. There were some scientists at the Jane Goodall Institute who decided to test this out. And they gave the chimps some raw potato and then some cooked potato. And the chimps preferred the cooked potato and they were prepared to wait. Rather than just have the instant gratification of eating the raw potato, they were prepared to wait for the cooked potato, which the scientists said this proves that chimps have the ability to appreciate cooked food. I think it just proves that everyone bloody loves chips. <laughs> um, in fact, apparently the female chimpanzees declined the chips but then snuck a load off the male chimps' plates. <laughs> Said they weren't hungry. But, uh, but yeah, and this is a sort of important, significant finding because they think it shows that if chimps have the ability to cook food, it means that our earliest ancestors... This is why we progressed as a species. So it, apparently uh, human beings started cooking 1.8 million years ago. Which you'd it hope is, it was ready by now, wouldn't it? Not sprouts. They take at least that long. Yeah. <laughs> but this is important because there's this fad for raw food and it's rubbish because we've evolved to eat cooked food because our ancestors were cooking way more before we'd actually finished evolving. And fire is hardwired into our genes. And you can see that when you see a man in front of a barbecue, can't you? <laughs> He's just so captivated, he gets to hold the sharp things and the proper long, pointy sharp, not the effete ladies' kitchen things like zesters, the big... Big bastard barbecue tools. He's out there with his barbecue. He's Conan the Suburbian. <laughs> Can I just say about men and barbecues? So here's what happens, right? Nice day, and the family thinks, oh, we'll have a barbecue. So the woman goes to the supermarket and she buys all the bits and pieces. She prepares everything. She chops and she slices. She organises the meat into patties. She puts it all on trays. She gets all the plates and all the things. And, and she goes out, she puts it all out onto a table in the garden where the man is standing there with an apron on. <laughs> and he cooks the food. And then he says to her, you'd better wash up. I'm exhausted. I've cooked. <laughs> <laughs> I 
really like the idea that we, with chimps, may cook, because it proves to me, finally, evolution. Because we've known for many years that they can brew up. Yeah. <laughs> Move a piano. Yeah. I do fear for next year's Great British Bake Off. <laughs> Cheetah's Victoria Sponge was perfect, but he's thrown a jobby at Mary Berry. <laughs> Scientists at Harvard University have discovered that chimps possess the intellectual abilities for cooking. In tests, the chimps chose cooked food 90% of the time. The other 10%, they had an urgent deadline and just had a sandwich at their desk. <laughs> the ability to cook allowed our forebears to expand their diet and extract far more calories, freeing up time for technological ingenuity so that we could evolve and produce the Stairmaster to burn off those extra <laughs> calories. <laughs> and we had hoped for an official statement from the chimps, but we could only talk to the organ grinder. <laughs> Points to Lucy. Jeremy, who's been banged to rights? Banged? <laughs> oh, OK. That's quite rude. Yes. Potty mouth. Um, there's a lady in Birmingham called Kim Whale, obviously, and she got arrested. There was an ASBO because she had been having very noisy sex and it was annoying the whole neighbourhood. And so she had an ASBO telling her to keep, or her husband to keep it down, I suppose. And, um... <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, clearly she's enjoying herself, she's being loud, she is... I, I find it hard to talk about sex. I'm <laughs> awkward about it, but she's having an orgasm. And that, that, that goes to show that the, the Birmingham man, you know, has, has managed to find the secret things, you know? <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, that's through years of negotiating the motorways. <laughs> if you can get yourself to the cathedral off Queensway, you've done very well. <laughs> oh, darling, you've got right to the heart of my spaghetti junction. <laughs> left a bit, left a bit, left a bit. Hilton Park, there you go. <laughs> my small but Queensway thrills to your touch. <laughs> Turn <It's>... around <laughs> when possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have just reinvented Mornington Crescent. <laughs> you have arrived. What do you... I like the idea... Oh, I like the arrived. idea that you still think that there are secret things, which is very sweet. I, didn't, I just didn't want to say clitoris, cos my mum's listening. <laughs> She's like, oh, we got me. a lovely one of them growing up back fence. <laughs> This woman, uh, I'm like... sorry for this problem because I am in a similar situation. My neighbours complain about the moaning uh, from my husband <laughs> and I. It's mainly me just saying, no, it's never going to happen. <laughs> and I'm going, oh. Well, a previous neighbour of Miss Whale said that living... Is that next... really her name? She's yeah, called yeah. Gemma Whale. I don't oh. know what her boyfriend's called. Wayne Grunts. I've no idea. <laughs> our our neighbours thought Aileen was called Aileen Shh. <laughs> making the bins. Uh, a previous neighbour of Miss Wales said that living next door to her was a nightmare, adding, there were men going in and out of her flat all the time. We complained to the police, social services and the council. You think, well, that's probably who all those men were. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the, uh, the judge needed to do to put a stop to it was just order her to get married. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I once got into trouble after the neighbours um, complained about the moaning and groaning and I... I promised we'd stop listening to quote-unquote. And... <laughs> Actually, the judge was uh, fantastic uh, summing up. Uh, I'm satisfied that during the course of the early hours of 29th of January 2015 at around 5am, the defendant was guilty of screaming and shouting whilst having sex at a level of noise which caused nuisance or annoyance to a neighbour in what has been described as the worst example of dirty talk ever. That is a fantastic <laughs> thing. I would have loved it if he said at that point we were summing up, I'm satisfied, and she shouted, well, at least
somebody was. <laughs> I think you should be as loud as you want when you have sex. It is the quickest way to get the children to leave home. <laughs> a miss... A Miss Whale of Birmingham has been jailed for two weeks after repeatedly having loud sex, breaking the conditions of her antisocial behaviour order. Loud sexual noises were heard coming... Oh, dear. <laughs> repeatedly and regularly from Miss Whale's flat, leading to numerous complaints from neighbours and a job as an advice columnist in the Daily Star. <laughs> after she is released from prison, Miss Whale will only be allowed to return to the property to collect her possessions and, presumably, to wipe down everything else with bleach. <laughs> Pushed you too far. Um, a witness testified that at 5am on January the 29th, Gemma started screaming and shouting whilst having sex, and this lasted ten minutes. Bloody hell, no stamina, these young people. <laughs> Two points to Jeremy. Before we reveal the final scores, has anybody got a cutting that they would like to share? I got mine. I brought mine in from the Wimslow Guardian. Police are on the hunt for a mugger. It was serious, uh, but they described him thus. He was a muscular build with chiselled features, brown eyes and perfect teeth. <laughs> Sounds like quite the catch. <laughs> this is sent in by James Bryce of Cambridge, and it's a headline in The Telegraph. Yvette Cooper turns on Labour leadership rivals. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Newbery of The Whittle has sent this in from the Radio Times, Channel 4, 255, Grayson Perry's Dream House. Following the artist as he designs and oversees the building of a secular chapel in tribute to Essex women that can be rented for holidays by the public. <laughs> Final score, Fred and Justin have got 12 points, but this week's winners are Lucy and Jeremy with 13. <laughs> Before we leave you, here is a cutting from the Evening Standard sent in by Lee Pressman. Barbara Windsor said, People don't know how talented Jim Dale is. They know him from falling down the stairs or staring at my boobs. The pair won Tony Awards for their work on Broadway. And can I just say, we are dedicating this week's show to our friend and former panellist, Charles Kennedy, who once said, politics is much too serious to be taken too seriously. Equally, there are many aspects of it so laughable as to be lamentable. And with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news calls were Fred McCauley, Justin Morehouse, Lucy Porter and Jeremy Hardy. In the chair was Sandy Toxic and the news was heard by me, Corey Caulfield. The chair's script was written by Benjamin Partridge, Lucy Clark and Simon Littlefield, with additional material by Dan Kiss and Max Davis. The producer was Lindsay Fenner and it was a BBC radio comedy production.